It is not a national holiday, but for a college basketball fan, it comes very close. Today is Selection Sunday, the time of year when you got a bunch of men and women who have been holed up in a room for a few days, and they are watching nothing but ball games, and they are going to select the top 68 teams worthy of playing in a big tournament. I don't care a thing about over and unders. I don't care a thing about the gambling aspects. I understand some of that is involved. But if you like basketball, this is your time of year. I can't wait for the tournament to get started. I never, well, let's see, I've been a long time since I have actually watched a selection show. It is at 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings, always, every year. Uh, there was a time when we started at 6, and I might catch the beginning, but for a long time, I've never seen or haven't seen the selection show itself. But I will be checking later this evening to see when and where and who my Jayhawks are playing. And I'm excited for this time of year. Now, some people don't care a thing about that. And that's okay with me, I suppose. With, if you don't mind, if you don't like it, if it's not your thing, it's okay. I live in a home where I'm kind of the only one who really enjoys this time of year. That's okay. But I think some people, when it comes to their salvation, they have a concept in their minds of this committee that is selecting people who are going to play and people who are going to sit out. And in their minds, and Calvin kind of came up with this, and it's changed a little bit over the years, but he was one of the first to really take this concept and run with it, where he would say maybe what happened was there was God called a committee meeting. And so you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they call this meeting before time begins, and they elect or select those who are going to be saved, those who are going to win, and those who are not, those who are going to be lost. And some people have this concept in their mind that God from the beginning, He chose those who are going to be saved, and and therefore, he chose those who are going to be lost. They don't like really, really to talk about that part of it. But if one is true, the other has to be true. And so God selected those who are going to be saved. And he selected, therefore, those who are going to be lost. But in the end, there's really nothing that you and I can do about it. That's what they would say. And so tonight, we're looking at a triumph term. We're looking at a term that is filled with triumph. We're talking about victory. We've been talking about words like being washed, having our sins washed away in the blood of Christ. Terms like being sanctified, set apart for the purposes of God, holy. We've talked about this morning being justified. And that is that God is able to declare us not guilty. He is able to acquit us of the guilt that we have for having committed sin. And so tonight we look at this idea of being elected. And I want us to begin by getting a simple definition and look at what it is we're talking about. This word generally comes from two different Greek words. And from these two different Greek words, we get several other words that we find uh, in context of being elected. Again, we get the concept of being elected or uh, election, of being chosen or God choosing those who are going to be saved. All of these are going to basically come down... To the same idea. Is this right? Is this the way it is? Brethren, when we talk about being elected, really what it comes down and boils down to is literally being picked out. 
It's literally coming down to being chosen. And God, the Bible says, has picked out those who are going to be saved. That is true. What is not true is that He does not leave anything up to us. And so tonight, let us grasp and get a good hold of what the Bible has to say concerning this. Again, when we talk about being elected, we also are talking about being called. We're talking about being purposed, the idea of being adopted, the same idea as being predestined or called. We're talking about all of these same things. God had a plan. Tonight, we've got three points. This is the first. God, from the beginning, always had a plan. How is He going to save mankind? What is He going to do? And the the bottom line is that God has always had a plan, and His plan has always been to offer mankind salvation. That's always been in His mind. It's always been His goal. I'm going to offer salvation to mankind. And this has always, from the beginning, involved the church. Now, we don't find the church coming about until Acts chapter 2. And yet, the Bible will tell us that from the beginning, God always had this plan in His mind. Now, it is not the church, as uh, people refer to it. We're not talking about denominationalism. We're not talking about breaking up the body of Christ and your church building and my church building. We're talking about the church as the Bible talks about it. The Bible, the church... The ecclesia, meaning what? The called out, right? The called out. We've talked about being sanctified, set apart. Now we're talking about the church, the called out ones. Called out, the ones who are going to be saved versus those who are going to be lost. And again, this comes back to our idea of being elected. Now, you have your Bible still open there. Brother Truett read for us a moment ago from Colossians 3. I want to back up to, to chapter 1. And read verses 1 and 2. Lay a little foundation for just a moment, please. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from verse number 2, you get an idea of who he is, who it is that he's writing to. Did you catch it? The saints. The sanctified, those who have been set apart. He is writing to the faithful brethren who find themselves in Christ. Saints, faithful brethren in Christ. And then you go over to chapter 3. And to these same people, what does he refer to them as? In chapter 3 and verse number 12 that Brother Truett read a moment ago, he calls this same group of folks the elect of God. Saints. Faithful brethren, in Christ, the elect of God. Four ways of describing the same group. Four ways of describing the same group of people. And we find it laid out here so easy for us to understand. Now, you turn back in your New Testament a few pages to the book of Ephesians. And we go back here, and I'm going to do this in a bit of a different order... And I'm not telling you verses probably that you haven't heard or maybe you're somewhat familiar with, but we're reminding ourselves that from the beginning, God always had a plan to bring about man's salvation. And so we find in chapter 1 of verse 22, "...and He, that is the Father, put all things under His feet," that is, the feet of Jesus, 
and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So you've got a letter written to saints, faithful brethren, in Christ, the elect of God, all part of the church, which is His body. All ways of describing the same people in the same condition. Now, you go back to a little bit earlier in chapter 1, and you look at verse number 4, and to this group of people who are in the church, a part of His body, He says, just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. To those in the church, Paul says, you are the chosen of God. You are the adopted ones. You are the ones who have been predestined. And so we're coming up with a laundry list, aren't we? Of different ways of describing relationship and these people to Christ. This is who they are. And we could say again that all of this finds itself in the church of Jesus Christ. Those who find themselves in Christ are the elect of God, those that have been chosen, those who have been called. These are the ones that God has elected to save. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 10. To the intent that now the manifold, the infinite wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brethren and friends, how long has this plan been in the mind of God? Well, you see in this verse, in verse number 11, the Bible says that this is according to the eternal purpose of God. The eternal purpose of God. And you look back there in chapter 1, and the Bible tells us, in verse number 4, that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. God has had a plan for saving mankind from the foundation of the world. From before the start of time, God had a plan in place for how He would bring about the salvation of mankind. Did He know that we would need saving? Yes, He did. He didn't create us that way. He made the world perfect. And yet He knew that man would be in need of saving. And He provided a way for man to be saved. He knew that man was going to need a Savior. And He planned to send Christ to call out, to elect those who would be willing to accept Christ's salvation. He made a plan, put it in place, and said, Now, I'll give you the choice. And brethren and friends, that's where we would leave Calvin. Calvin said, and this is where he left Scripture very quickly, Calvin would say that we're going to be saved or lost really not based on anything we choose to do. That we're going to be saved or lost based on what God would choose to do. That I don't have a part to play in my salvation and neither do you. But that is not what the Bible teaches when it comes to being elected. When it comes to being chosen by God. God knew that He would save those who were in the church. But friends, He left it up to you and I to make a choice. 
And this is where we need to continually remember what the Bible has to say. Calvin would say that Jesus would only die for a few. I find that very interesting based on what Jesus would say later, don't you? These words behind me point out clearly the plan that Jesus put in place and what he wanted. The salvation was going to be offered to all nations, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. That doesn't sound at all, does it, to you, like God is going to only choose a few and leave everybody else? He said, I'm going to give them all a choice. I'm going to give a, I'll have a plan in place to bring about the salvation of man. I am going to elect, call those who will choose me. But we need to understand that this is the plan that God had from the beginning. And then he takes his plan and he begins to put it into action. Isn't that what he did? I've got a plan that's going to bring about the salvation of mankind. And now I'm going to put that plan into place. What did it take? It took Jesus, didn't it? Brethren, friends, this is going to get to sound, I suppose, like a broken record, but I won't apologize. As we think about victory being found in Jesus, what we're looking at are these terms. I can only be washed and have my sins forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. We can only be sanctified, set apart by God because of the cross of Jesus. We can only be justified in the eyes of God, that is, to have our guilt removed and not stand before God condemned only because of the cross of Jesus. And now tonight, when we think about being elected by God, it's simply not possible to be called out, separated, a part of the elect, without the cross of Jesus. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. So, the cross was in the mind of God. He knew that this was going to have to come. And so I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 2, and Paul says, I'll tell you how important the cross is. I don't want to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't want to know anything else among you, Corinthians, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because that's all you need to know. As we're getting started, that's all you need to know. You need the cross. You need the benefits of the cross. And so he makes that clear. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you go back a little ways, and you see what he has read, what he has spoken to them. And he says, you know what? People are going to look at this plan, and they're going to see that I've put it into action. And they're going to hear this about God leaving heaven and coming down and dying on a cross. And I'll tell you, some people are going to think that's foolish. Some people are going to say that doesn't make any sense at all. And now what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified and to the Jews, he says, this is a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Some people are going to hear this message of the cross and they're going to say, I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense to me. But to those who are called, those who are willing, as it were, to weigh the evidence and understand that the blood of Jesus is all that is needed for one to be saved, they will gladly accept it and they will embrace it and they will obey Him. But the choice He leaves to us. All have the ability to benefit from the cross of Christ. That's what we notice in Matthew chapter 28 and in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus gives the Great Commission. Though That we notice from simple passages like John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him can be saved, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Simple passages tell us that this is available to all individuals, to all men. All have an opportunity to to submit themselves to the Lord to be saved. But notice these words in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to who? All men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by man's obedience, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You want to know something I have a lot of trouble wrapping my mind around? I want you to consider for a moment what Calvin really was saying. When Calvin would say that Jesus actually came and provided limited atonement... That is, that Jesus came and the benefits of the cross are actually only available to a few. In other words, He didn't die for everybody. He died for a few. You know what that does? What that does is say, Adam, not Adam, but Adam in the beginning, first Adam, when you brought sin into the world, your sin is more powerful than Jesus' blood. Your sin condemned all men, but the blood of Jesus can only save a few. You think that's right? Does that make any sense to you? That, That puts Adam in a category above Jesus. I'm not willing to do that, are you? No. Sin came into the world because Adam chose to sin. But Jesus' blood can save anybody. Anybody who wants to be saved has the ability to be saved. Jesus didn't die for a few. He died for all. But God leaves the choice to us. And so from the beginning, He had a plan to bring about man's salvation. I'm going to elect those who will choose to be saved. Those who will choose to be in the church. And so I put that plan into place and I sacrifice my son. He comes and sheds his blood so that all men might now have an opportunity to be saved. Here's your third and final point, and that is that God has a vote. God's vote. We're talking about an election, aren't we? Uh, We're... uh... We're far enough removed from an election and far enough removed from a future election that maybe I can use the word vote and you'll be all right with it. 
But understand that that's exactly what we're talking about. At this point in time, God has a vote. But God has a command and He says, what I want you to do is obey. I once heard a preacher say it like this. God is standing over here, casting His vote for you. And what He says is, I put a plan in place, knowing that you would need a Savior. I put a plan in place to provide you with an opportunity to be saved. I have sacrificed my only Son for you. I made sure that everything that could possibly be done was done to give you an opportunity to be with me forever. I cast my vote for you. Satan is over here. And Satan says, I cast my vote against you. I am not for you. I do not want you to go to heaven. I do not want you to be with God forever. And so I will roam about. I will seek to devour you. I will place temptation in front of you. I will place hurt in your life. And I will be as against you as anybody could possibly be. You keeping score? One vote yes. One vote no. And you, you get the deciding vote. You get the deciding vote. I get the deciding vote. I get to decide which direction I'm going to go. And that's what it comes down to, brethren. And friends, that's where we are. God says, I've done everything I can do. I've provided you with my son. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be one of my elect. I want to choose you because you choose me. I want you to be one of the called out. I want you to stand with me. But we get the vote. It is our choice which direction we're going to go. Have you made your choice? Do you know where you stand tonight? Do you know that God has provided a choice from the beginning? Did you know and be reminded that Eve had a choice and that Adam had a choice and Joshua presented the people with a choice, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve? That Jesus provided a choice in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved and he who does not believe will be condemned. What is that? It's a choice. You're going to choose to believe and be baptized. You're going to choose to be saved. Or you're going to choose to be lost. You choose. You get the choice. You cast the deciding vote. Are you going to be one of God's elect? Or are you not? I conclude tonight just a couple more verses. Some of this we read this morning from Romans chapter 6. Maybe your Bible's still open there. Mine is. In Romans chapter 6, we read verses 17 and 18 this morning, but back up and pick up 16 with it, where Paul is writing to these same Christians that he's been writing to in Rome, and he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to life? It's a choice, isn't it? You choose who you obey. 
God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. You chose to do that. You choose what you're going to obey. You choose if you're going to be free. Now back up to verse number 12. Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to obey it. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your uh, instruments, yourselves, to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It's a choice. I won't say it one more time, but I would. You make it. We get the choice to be saved and to stay that way. And so tonight, I would ask you, what choice have you made? Brethren and friends, we're talking about words of triumph. We're talking about victory. We're talking about what God has done to provide us with salvation. We live in a world that stinks that's hard, that's very difficult, that causes a tremendous amount of pain. Some of you weren't in here for that announcement in Bible class that Brother Kyle referred to a moment ago. My good buddy today had to preach a funeral for a child that was never living outside of the womb. Almost he made it, but died three weeks early. And in Mexico... What a scene it is. They will parade that little coffin down the street to the cemetery. And there will be wailing. And he preached that little boy's funeral today. This world does not need to be where my attachment lies. I don't need to be attached to the things of this world or to the ruler of it. My attachment needs to be to the one who gave his life for me. The one who shed his blood so that I could be a part of his church where the saved are found. Is that where you find yourself tonight? Paul says, or Peter says rather in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we need to be finding ourselves in the kingdom. Finding ourselves adding to our faith in 2 Peter chapter 1. And an entrance into his kingdom will be supplied. An entrance that will help us to never stumble. If we will continually add to our faith and continue to grow, we'll only get stronger. But will you turn one more place with me tonight over to 1 Peter? And I'm reminded of the opening of this great letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter begins by saying, Peter, he's defining who's writing the letter, and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And the next word in verse number 2 is elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you all. Be multiplied. The elect. That's who he's writing to. Members of the church. Those who belong to Christ. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And then in chapter 2, again, that's speaking about his plan from the beginning. In verse 9, he says these wonderful words to the same people. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see the differences? You find yourself tonight, my friend, in one of those two places. You're either in darkness or in the light. You're either without mercy or you have obtained mercy. But you find yourself only of those accountable age, only in one of those two places. And you know where you are. You get to cast the vote. Where will you spend eternity? Jesus has done everything he can to save you. His blood has been shed. Will you obey him tonight? Will you be one of his? Will you come to him in faith, repentance, in baptism, meeting his blood, having your sins washed away? Tonight, maybe you've not heard anything quite like this message, and maybe you've got questions. Please don't leave here without those answered. And if we can help you in any way, please let us know. But my friend, if you're ready to respond to the gospel invitation then won't you delay no longer. Come now. If you are a Christian who has wandered away, and you need to come back, you need the prayers of the church, you need your family to rally around you, help in any way that we can, will you not come also? Come while together we stand and while we sing.